Hey, it's Damon. I don't know if you noticed, but the Who Am I Really podcast just passed a milestone. 200 episodes. I was really excited to see the number 200 go by with Lori's episode last week. And here on episode 201, Amy keeps the adoptee sharing, validating, and empathizing going. There are so many adoptee stories to tell, and I truly wish I could be part of telling them all. But not everyone wants to share on a podcast. Not everybody wants to share on this podcast, and some adoptees aren't ready to share at all. To those who have been my guests so far and who have opened up about some of the most intimate emotional parts of their lives with me, for the benefit of every listener out there, I say thank you so much. You've helped me learn more than I ever imagined about the adoption experience and the lived experiences of people from every part of this country and different parts of the world. But more importantly, sharing our stories here is helping at least one other person out there who has felt alone as an adoptee in their community or whose feelings about their adoption and their attempt at reunion have been invalidated by people who don't quite understand what adoptee life is like or who have struggled through adoptee situations and needed to hear someone else's story so they could take a piece of knowledge away for their own use. I love this work, and I'm so grateful for every guest and listener. Thank you for being here with me. If the Who Am I Really podcast has brought something meaningful to your life, I would really appreciate a review on your podcast app. It's quick, free, and an easy way to be supportive. And when the algorithms see that a show is getting positive reviews, it helps other people to find this podcast too. Okay, I hope you're ready for number 201. Here we go. That feeling of being wanted by someone who originally placed you for adoption was a tremendous feeling for me to have my adopted mom then just kind of crush that because it upset her so much. And I understand how difficult that has to be, but I'm not trying to replace her. I'm just trying to learn about my family, you know, that so many people take for granted. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and you're about to meet Amy, who called me from outside of Chicago. Amy grew up looking visibly different than her family in a way that didn't meet societal stereotypes for her family's beliefs, causing her to have to explain her adoption more than she might have liked. Curious about her ethnicity and background, Amy found links to her birth family through DNA. In her maternal reunion, Amy found her birth mother's family shares many of her creative traits and has welcomed her as their daughter and sister. But her paternal connections only happened once and seems to be blocked by her birth father's spouse, even though the man should be able to empathize with Amy for himself. This is Amy's journey. Amy said she grew up in a typically American family. She doesn't remember a time when she was sat down and told she was adopted. She's just kind of always known that fact about herself. Reflecting on her life, she said she's always felt appreciative and grateful to be adopted given the story she was told about her birth family. They were young, and they couldn't take care of her back in 1969. Amy has an older brother, 
also adopted, who is not biological to herself, and a sister, who is eight years younger than herself and is the biological child of their parents. While Amy's family are all white, she has blonde hair and blue eyes, and they all have dark hair and dark eyes. So growing up, the one thing I always wanted to know was just kind of like who I looked like. Yeah. That was like my biggest thing is like you just wanted a picture of, you know, resemblance. But other than that, you know, I never felt adoption was a bad thing for me. I felt I was adjusted in it and my adopted parents were always very supportive to say, if you ever want to, you know, try to search, we would be happy to help you. I really never had that interest, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, as a child. Really secure, there's no, there's no need to be filled. There's no gap, right? You've got the love, right. you've got family, everything feels good. So there's no real, there's no desire to search if you're, if things are going well. Right, right. And that's how I was my whole life until I decided to search. <laughs> yeah, right. Until I realized, you know what? I do want to search. It's funny right. how it hits us. Tell me a little bit about yeah. your sibling relationships. You said your parents had a biological daughter eight yes. years after you were adopted. Tell me about your relationships with your brothers and sisters. So my older brother and I, we were two, we're two years apart. So Growing up, just typical brother-sister kind of thing, you know, I would annoy him, we'd play together, kind of, you know, just this, what you would expect in a typical sibling relationship. We didn't really talk about being adopted. It was always known. So that was, you know, just a normal thing. And then when my younger sister was born, I honestly, my mom even says this, like, I just loved that baby. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, this is my real live baby doll. <laughs> so we have a really great relationship even now, my younger sister, like we just connected. And, you know, I think being eight years older, I went through all those milestones of getting married, having kids. And then she kind of looked up to me and, you know, I supported her through all of that too. So really good relationship. Yeah. My brother, he struggled, I think, a bit more with his adoption as he got older because we did move around a little bit when we were younger. And he doesn't say this, but like looking back on it now, I think that was a big struggle for him, his adoption. So as we got older, I kind of distanced myself from him because I was wanting to do the right thing. I wanted to get good grades. I wanted to please my parents. And he kind of took the opposite route mm -hmm. <laughs> of kind of like, I'm going to go make havoc and do what I want to do. And that kind of separated us. As we've gotten older, we've talked more about our adoption and we're still not really close, but we can have good conversations, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. It's interesting to see how the effects of adoption manifest themselves in different people at different times, mm -hmm. right? It's right. some folks, it's from the very earliest age and they can feel the sense of sort of trauma that coincides with having been taken from wherever that was home to where they are right. now. And then there's folks who sort of discover the angst in their middle school and teenage years. Some folks are, yeah. it's when they have this moment of discovery, if they're a late discovery adoptee, and then there's others who struggle through, you know, early and later adulthood. It's just interesting to think that it can come out at any time and it's different for different people, really wild and triggered by different stuff. Totally. Mm -hmm. I know. It's bizarre. It really is bizarre. 
<laughs> you know, like I said, I think when I reached out to you, just kind of telling my story and listening to so many of your podcasts, I was like, wow, like, you know, thinking of being alone and like starting to struggle with this in my 50s seemed so bizarre to me. Like, mm-hmm. I just thought I have to be just crazy. Like, who has these thoughts? And then just hearing other people who could validate it, I was like, okay, <laughs> this yeah. is, you know, this is not totally crazy. This is just something, this is a journey. This is what I need to go through. This yeah. is, you know, a lot of people hit this at different times. So, you know, that's nice about this adoption community. I feel like so many more people are sharing their stories that yeah. just helps each other to feel like, okay, now I understand this. Yeah. This is exactly mm-hmm. why I do the show. This is a big part of it is the validation of the feelings that you're having, but you may not have had someone to actually talk to or hear that from previously. So right. being able to set up a platform that allows us to validate each other's feelings is really important to me. So I'm glad you said that piece about validation. Yeah. And it is, it's so important because I think a lot of people who aren't adopted and like in my family, you know, I have three children, my husband, like they can hear what I'm saying and they can try to empathize with it, but they can't completely understand and validate and and understand like an adopted person can. So that's what's so important. Blonde-haired, blue-eyed Amy didn't look like her adoptive family much, and to top things off, her family is Jewish, a culture not classically known for physical features like Amy's. She didn't look like a Jewish child. So when people would ask me, you know, around the holidays, like, what are you doing for Christmas? And I'm like, well, we celebrate Hanukkah. They're like, you don't celebrate Hanukkah. I was like, yeah, I do. I mean, people would argue with me. And I'd be like, well, I'm adopted. So it's like you always had to give that excuse. Well, I'm adopted. And then it was always like, oh, yeah. (laughs) You know? So, you know, and I never really thought that affected me so much until I look back at it. And like thinking about how many times I had to justify that how do you have blonde hair and blue eyes? Your parents have brown eyes and dark hair, you know, you don't look Jewish. You And it was always, well, I'm adopted, you know? Yeah. So that's really fascinating. But, I was thinking about, you know, which has really stuck with me. What one of my other guests said, she was a woman of color raised in a white family. And she said, you know, mm-hmm. I always had to live my adoption out in public. And that is a very private thing for me. And you were raising yet another example of it that I had never thought of before is that there are some sort of stereotypical things that we think about certain religions and certain, you know, cultures. And you you just automatically think, oh, that person looks this way, right? right? If I said, you know, Ethiopian, you could probably pull a couple of stereotypes together of what you think that kind of person looks like. And, exactly. and, and if I said Muslim, you could probably pull some stereotypes together of what that person probably looks like in your mind. So for someone right. to say, I'm Jewish, and your image not meet their stereotypical expectation <laughs> is another example of that. I, I'm glad you said that. I've never really contemplated that before. Fascinating. Right. Yeah. 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 But and it's it, so true what people put, you know, mm-hmm. in their mind of what someone should look like or be like mm-hmm. based on, you know, just their appearance, not really understanding the background. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and yet again, you have to legitimize yourself. And you probably, as you've said, you didn't even realize that you had to do it or that you were doing it. But it sounds like over time, like this 
stack of needles, you know, was piling up. And then eventually it feels like it kind of poked you, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Amy was born in Indiana, where her family lived for a few years. Then they moved to New York, New Jersey, and then landed in Chicago. Amy met the man she would eventually marry when she was in high school. They attended university and got married after they graduated. When Amy's kids were born, she stayed at home to raise them all. I asked her what it was like when her kids were born and she could suddenly see people who looked like herself. That probably was one of the most amazing things is, you know, when you have your first child. I mean, that's like your first biological relative that you get to see. So having the resemblance and, you know, my kids do resemble me and I mean my husband, but it was just very cool to see that. And I think that kind of got me where I knew the situation from the unidentifying information I received that, you know, my parents were young, they weren't married. And I was like, I can understand that. That would be really hard to raise a child you know, on your own if you're not married and you don't have support outside. And then when I had my son, who's my oldest, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't, I don't know how anyone's able to, you know, relinquish a child when I just wanted to hold him. You know, when people would come over and want to see the baby, I would be like, okay, here he is. But, you know, I want to hold him. So could you please give him back pretty quickly? (laughs) Yeah, I just like soaked in every moment with my kids, just just looking at them and in awe that they were my kids. And I'm sure that's the same for a lot of people, but I just think there's a little extra layer of, you know, going through the process of pregnancy and giving birth and then just realizing like what a birth mother must go through and how how hard that has to be for them to yeah, do that. For sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've often said, you know, the birth of my son, Seth, was like a momentous occasion for us for a variety of reasons. We had adopted two older children and my kids were sort of moving along through life. And here we were trying to conceive. We were challenged to conceive. And then this Mm -hmm. guy is conceived naturally. And he's my first biological relative. And I'm the guy, like I didn't even carry him. Right. I can't even imagine how much more intense it is. For a female adoptee to have conceived her own child and be carrying this person that you get to birth and meet for the first time. It must be just, as you said before, just another layer of what it's like to be an adoptee on top of that well-known situation for so many women around the world. Right. Yeah. No, incredible. But yeah, true. I mean, that I think about that too for fathers, you know, I mean, that's amazing your story. And I mean, I know my husband is just as in love with our kids as I am, but there is a different connection. But I have to imagine as an adopted person, just seeing that, like you're looking at this little creature you created (laughs) that, you know, has your biology in them. And that's just an amazing thing that, you know, most people take for granted because they see it in their families and their siblings, mother, father, if they're not adopted. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the whole thing that you do where you pick the child apart and you're like, Oh, he's got my toes and those are my cheeks. And that looks like your nose. And you know, you try to assign every feature and every personality trait like that also is just a little bit more intense with an adopted person because you've not had it before. Like you couldn't look at your brother or your sister and think, oh, you know, we kind of have the same hands. Like, no, you don't. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. Amy's kids are in their 20s. So the Internet was just beginning to offer reunion options for adopted people when they were young. 
Amy placed her name in certain reunion registries, hoping to match with a birth parent. She never really told anyone she had registered to be found, and nothing ever came of her registration. Then, in 2017, Amy's family would frequently watch the show Long Lost Family, where reunions were unfolding for strangers on the screen. Repeatedly, the touching reunions brought tears to Amy's eyes because the moment of finding family was so moving to her in ways she couldn't imagine for herself. Later, when Ancestry DNA had a sale on their kits, Amy's kids convinced her to submit a sample. My husband says to me, are you sure you want to do that? And I was like, you know, I really just want to know what my background is. Like, what's my ethnicity? What's, you know, what are my origins? That's kind of really... Like when I say that out loud, I think, did I have an ulterior motive to connect with biological family? I really don't think I did back then. I really just think I wanted to know what my origins were. So I did that. And when I got the results back, honestly, the first thing I looked at was my DNA, your ethnicity, right? Or your heritage to find out what I was. And it was the coolest thing to find out. I had some English background, German background, Scottish background, and really just like, I read every single thing in depth. Like, oh my gosh, this is where my family came from, you know, and then they moved to the States and this is where they were in the States. And I thought that was the most amazing thing. And then the next thing I did was I clicked on relatives and it was my birth father that I matched with. And I, wow. I mean, that just like knocked me off my seat. Whoa. <laughs> it happened. It wasn't his name. It was a username, but it basically said, this is your father. So once that happened, I was like, wait a second. Now this is in my lap. I have to investigate. I have to figure out where I'm going with this, right? Amy's first job was to try to figure out her birth father's identity. She tried to message the username for her birth father, but no one replied. Amy reached out to a cousin on her maternal side who did reply and granted Amy access to her extensive family tree online. Using the non-identified information she had, Amy figured out a possible identity for her birth mother. I was able to figure out who I thought my birth mother was, and she confirmed that for me. She's like, yep, those are the people, and they had one daughter. And from there, kept searching, and I found her married name, and then we went to Facebook, <laughs> of course. <laughs> the next so, step on the search. <laughs> the next step on the search was Facebook. And lo and behold, I found her Facebook, and I messaged her. It took a little bit of time, but she ultimately reached back, and she was thrilled that I had found her and was so excited. So we met up like in 2018 for the first time and it was amazing. That's incredible. It was Tell me really how, great. How did your how did your connection go? So you messaged back and forth on Facebook. Then when did you did you email? Did you call? Tell me about how you led up to meeting and what was yeah. it like to actually speak with her? So it was crazy. So it really was that day. She reached back out to me and was like, call me anytime. And I was like, okay. And of course, my family is like, do it. Call right now. And I'm like, I need to breathe. Right. You're <laughs> going to need a to moment. give me a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so, but ultimately that night I did. I picked up the phone and I called her and it was, it was really incredible to just hear her voice and 
to, you know, her, for her to be so happy that I had, you know, contacted her. She's married, but not to my birth father. And they have three daughters. So I have three sisters and they had all known about me. So she had told her family. And I think that is what made it such an easy thing for her because it wasn't like she was hiding anything. And then there I was, she had shared just with her husband and daughters that I was out there somewhere. So when I reached out to her, I mean, she was surprised because she said, we always thought about, you know, how could we? And I guess one of my sisters had always said, how do we find her? How do we find her? And, you know, my birth mom was like, it's really not on us because I don't feel like we can go find her. Like this was a choice that was made. We can't intrude. And so when I was able to find her, she was very excited. And so were my three sisters. So that's really incredible. Wow. Mm -hmm. It's good that yeah. she had opened up about that ahead of time because this is, yes. a, it's a lot like the, you know, when a late discovery adoptee finds out they're adopted, one of their first reactions is like, why the hell didn't you tell me this before? Right. Right. And I could see that the same could be true in a birth parent's family. Right. Wait, oh, I yeah. have a sibling out there. Why the hell didn't you tell me this before? Right. right. So the fact that she had preempted your return with that information removed the shock and introduced curiosity. And then when you did show right. up, the curiosity satisfied versus you showing up and the shock being the first thing that happened. <laughs> right. That's exactly. really powerful. And I think that's an important lesson for people to learn in this reunion journey is if you've got something to share, like, Go ahead and start letting it out there and, you know, you'll live. You will be just right. fine. Everybody right. will get over it, but it's important to get the, that information out there because the shock is is much more challenging to deal with in the moment. Right. Yeah, I would imagine. And her husband, you know, he's wonderful because I, I say this because my birth father is a different story, but he is so supportive of our relationship and... I think without that, it would make it very difficult, you know, because he, I mean, he welcomed me with open arms. He now says he's got four daughters, you know, he's taken on a, you know, grandpa role to my kids wow. and, you know, it's just amazing. It's yeah. just truly amazing to have that in my life, you know, be able to see, you know, genetically who I look like, some common things between my sisters and my mom that, you know, growing up, I feel like now looking back how much I missed that, mm -hmm. you know, not having that and how cool it is to be able to get it now. Yeah. It continues the theme of you don't know what's missing until you see it. And then you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. And, and it is yeah. not looking like thing is something you can easily push down. You you were in mm -hmm. a loving tribe. Your family yes. loved each other. So there was no real need to focus on it. Whereas right. when there are so many other factors in your relationship that are potentially pushing you apart, you will then focus on things like, and we don't look alike. You know what I mean? It'll right. like here's another thing I'm gonna stick in here that, you know, irritates me. Versus right. like the idea that you can push it away because it's not important to you because your family loves you and you love them. And then you see mm -hmm. these other people that you look like and and you feel this love and connection and things like that. And it's just like, oh, whoa, this is way more than I thought it was going to be. You know what I mean? It's 
Yes. I, I can, it's almost like when you, I don't know if you've ever tried to, like, I know women love shoes, for example. You try to find the perfect <laughs> shoe, and then when you finally find it, you're like, this is the one I've been looking for, right? And it feels so right. good after all of these previous attempts, and you've sort of pushed it yeah. away like, eh, it doesn't really matter that much. It's, yeah. it's like that. When you make that perfect find, you didn't realize right. how perfect it needed to be until you got the right thing, and that's kind of what this feels like to me. Wow. Yes, yes. Definitely. I mean, because, you know, even my best friend that I've known since high school was like, I can't believe you're doing this. Like, I mean, she was very supportive, but she's like, your whole life, you never said you cared. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't really think I cared. You know what I mean? But then once, once I was able to meet and I thought, gosh, my whole life, this is kind of what I was hoping for one day, you know, but yeah. just, I think, never thinking it was possible. You know, it's just something that I just never really thought was possible. Yeah. And I want to go back to something you said earlier, which was you started to search, but you didn't really tell anybody. And I think this happens yes. way more than most people realize it does, because it's the yeah. kind of thing that you'll do in the middle of the night. You're laying in bed, you can't sleep, right. you pick up your phone and you look at something and you go, oh, I wonder if there's an adoption registry. And you, it's nothing that you sort of preemptively had a conversation with anybody about. It's just the curiosity strikes you in the moment and you go for right. it. And then, you know, you find something interesting like, oh, what is this registry? I'm going to go to sleep. I'll pick this up another time. And then two days later, yeah. this curiosity strikes you and now you find yourself in a search or however yes. your curiosity overcomes you. I think there's a lot exactly. of that out there that I didn't realize that I wanted to search until I sort of started searching and then I realized right. I wanted to search. So, right. Yeah. Well, and I think the searching too is also a hard thing because I know I didn't want to upset anyone in my adopted family. Mm -hmm. I didn't want them to feel like I needed something else because I was well cared for. I was loved. We had a good family. I had a good upbringing and, you know, maybe I had more opportunities, which is all great. So it's almost like you didn't want to tell people because you didn't want them to think badly of you. You know, why are they searching? Why would they do that? They have everything they need here. You know, I mean, that's kind of how I thought about it back then. Like, we'll just see what comes of it. You know, yeah. if something matches, that'll be great. But if it doesn't, oh, well, I'm fine. Yeah, and that's a, that's an interesting point too, Amy, is that when we decide we want to search, people often associate it with because something like love is missing and it diminishes right. like the just the genuine curiosity about the things that you've raised. I look like somebody right. else. And and that is a curiosity that you can't look away from in the mirror or when someone says you don't look Jewish. So Right. It just, you know, these curiosities are sparked sometimes unintentionally and you don't realize mm -hmm. that you're curious or that you do care until it starts to reveal itself. Right. Oh, totally. As we chatted, Amy told me about conversations she had with some of the younger adoptees in her extended family. Some of them are international adoptees who have expressed concerns about potential hidden health issues curiosity about whether they will ever be able to find their biological families, and generally questioning who they are. Amy encouraged their curiosity because, for her, it seems better to think about those questions at a young age 
than to be confronting those issues later in life, like she has. I feel like, why is this coming up now in my 50s? You know, where I think the younger, maybe just younger generation, because they have so many more things through social media, the internet, they have access to so so much more that they can research and try to figure out on their own. Um, That I think, you know, it's like this split. I feel like there's so many people who are older kind of realizing some of this adoption stuff. And then there's a whole nother group of really young adults kind of coming to realization and having questions and wanting to know things. Yeah. Which is just very interesting because, you know, five years ago, I don't think I ever would have thought I would have these kind of questions and feelings about, you know, missing out on knowing my origins and, and that kind of stuff. Where now I get mad a little bit, you know, when I'm like, wait, why wasn't I given this information? Which is good for my nephews and my niece because their mom kind of gets it, like knows the importance of sharing their origin and talking about it, where I never felt like I had that platform to talk about it as a child mm-hmm. and it was never asked of me. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, I think if I had that a little bit earlier on, it probably would have made this little transition of, you know, meeting biological family a little bit easier mm-hmm. to feel like it was okay. Yeah. Like, you know, in a way I still have that feeling like, am I hurting someone? Because I know my adopted mom, I don't think she, as supportive as she is and says she is, I don't 100% think she's comfortable with the whole situation right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just a hard thing. And yeah. as an adoptee, you're trying to navigate, like, here's this new and exciting connection that I'm just over the moon about. And then I have my adopted family here and I'm like, I don't want them to feel slighted or put to the side. I want them to be able to share in it. And it's a really hard thing to navigate. Right. Yeah, it really is. It's it's tough. You want to be able to share, but they also have to be in a real strong position of empathetic understanding. And right. that can be challenging to reach, as we've said, because you're not in it. You don't know the experience. So it's hard to yes to share in the experience when you don't actually understand it that well to begin with. Yeah, that's really interesting. Let me ask you, yeah. Amy, you're I just realized <laughs> I want to get to this point where you meet your birth mother, but I want to just go back for a quick moment because you said your first connection was to information about your birth father. How come you didn't right. pursue him first? How why did you go after knowing your birth mother first? Well, so I didn't know his name when we matched. It was a username. And the only way I could connect was through the portal on Ancestry. And I never got anything back from him, like no response at all. So once I was able to get in touch with my birth mom, she was able to give me his name. And so from there, I actually did reach out to him through a letter I sent him in the mail. And he did get the letter and he actually called me the day he got it. And he's also adopted, which I find kind of crazy that our relationship hasn't gone forward at all. But when we first spoke, he was a little standoffish. And one of the first things he said to me was, I can't believe how easy it was for you to find me. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) you know, 
I was like, well, you did ancestry. <laughs> you, you did right. DNA. And I just thought that was like. understand what you were doing. But. <laughs> right. So I thought that was bizarre. And then he kind of just rattled off some like, you know, health issues that he had, you know, gone through. And slowly he warmed up a bit, which was great. And, and we started having like, you know, a couple phone calls, a couple text messages, And then we did meet one time with his wife, who I don't think she was very supportive (laughs) to him. Like as much as like my birth mom's husband is supportive, I think she goes the opposite. So the first meeting we had, I was like, well, could I get a picture? And she said, I don't want to see that on Facebook. So I was like, okay. So our relationship hasn't progressed at all. I do have a brother, a half brother, who does not want to have contact with me either. So that's kind of, you know, hard as it is. Uh, I've since just reached out to my birth father, you know, recently and just said, basically, I'm really glad I got the chance to meet you. Would love to, you know, develop a friendship, get to know more about you and your family. The doors opened feel free to reach out to me when you're ready, if you ever are. So, Mm -hmm. but I haven't heard back. So that was, that's difficult. And the difficult part is that he's adopted. So I kind of feel like he probably has some of these same, similar feelings, thoughts that I'm going through. And it's sad that he doesn't want to connect because I mean, I feel like people for some reason think that adoptees wanting to connect we want something like there's a grander picture out there. Right. And really all we want to do is get to know the people we were born from. You know, I want to know about his personality. I want to know about his life. That's all, you know? And so it is sad because you think, what about me? Doesn't he want to know? And, and that's, that hurts, but yeah, you know, it sucks because you end up owning the rejection when it's really on them. Right. You're a good right. person. You've got a good heart. You don't have any ulterior motive. You just want right. to know them. Like literally, can we see each other? And like, can, can we kind of talk? I, there's some questions I have and I'd love to hear about right. your life. And it's not right. really intended to be this pressure situation, but they make it one with their desire not to be connected to you. And so it becomes a question of like, well, what's wrong with me? And it's actually not anything wrong with you. It's that they've got issues that they haven't dealt with. And it's important right. to just keep that ownership of the issue over there and try to be good with yourself and recognize that right. they've got to come around to it. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, and it could be his wife is not thrilled with it. And I get it. Like, if you've got to keep peace in your house, then I guess you have <laughs> right. to keep peace in your house. Right. But then again, I'm thinking, come on, be a stronger person. And if you're interested in knowing about me, do it. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't want to close the door on it. And honestly, it was a great thing. Like after we met, I was excited to be there. I was nervous to be there. When I left, I was an emotional wreck because I mean, I probably had a feeling like this is going to be the only time I see him. Mm-hmm. But then again, it was like, what an opportunity that this is something I never thought would ever happen. So how lucky am I that I was able to at least meet him in person one time? Absolutely. You know? Yeah, you could could have been zero. She could have shut that down before he even left the house. She could have shut it down in the first phone call. So that is very fortunate. 
But you right. you so met I, him second? Yes. Yeah. I met her in February of 2018. I met him in July of 2018. Switching to Amy's birth mother, they had spoken on the phone in January 2018, and then they messaged back and forth. Amy found out she had a sister in Chicago, whom she also spoke with. Her sister's family was planning a trip to see their mother in February, so everyone planned to meet up. Amy's husband accompanied her. Her birth mother and her husband, and Amy's half-sister and her husband, all gathered at a restaurant. I mean, it was so exciting. It was funny, though, because as we were getting ready to walk out the door, my husband just looked at me. <laughs> And I just literally broke down. And he was like, what can I do? I'm like, oh my gosh, my makeup. <laughs> I just like yelled at him pretty much. And it was like, go to the car. I'll be out in a minute. Don't talk to me. And then we drove there literally in silence. Because I thought if he says one word, I'm just going to be an emotional wreck. Oh, where no. I thought I was so strong. And I was going to take this on. It was going to be fine. And then we got there. And he goes, I'll handle it. I'll walk in. I'll find him. I followed him. We walked around the corner and there they were. And it was just amazing to see her oh, and man. hug her and to see resemblance. It was just really cool. I mean, mm. I saw pictures before, but just to like have a hug from her was amazing. Wow. You know, that's incredible. That's <laughs> so funny. You were on eggshells and you're like, the best way for you to support me is to just shut up. <laughs> I know. He's like, what can I do? I was like, do not talk to me. Don't look at me. That's so funny. <laughs> so, wow. And I, so you, you know. get to see her. Do you see resemblance? Did you see resemblance of yourself in the pictures and, and with her in person? Yes. Yes. And it was funny because once we found her, my daughter and I, we were like, you know, screenshotting pictures and showing it to family. And they're like, oh, my gosh, there's mm. no denying it. So, yeah, there is a lot of resemblance with us and, you know, my sisters. So it's so cool. That's really awesome. And then that year, I'm thinking it was the day after Thanksgiving, everyone had gone to Indiana. So I have a sister in Colorado, a sister in Indiana, a sister in Chicago. So they were all planning to be in Indiana for Thanksgiving. So the day after Thanksgiving, my family went there and we had like a first time meeting of everybody. So all the sisters, their husbands, their kids, my kids, we all just hung out and had a great first meeting and just kind of getting to know each other, which mm. was amazing. Amy said all of her three kids look very much alike, but she and her sisters don't all look alike. You can pick out features between them and similar characteristics like their face shape. And Amy says she sees that they have similar smiles. Between the sisters, they have some shared interests as they're crafty gardeners, and hands-on kind of women. Amy said she was crafty growing up, but her adoptive mother was nothing of the sort. So it's super interesting to see that her half-siblings share inherited creativity traits. It never ceases to amaze me which pieces of ourselves are learned through nurture versus what we inherit through nature. I was interested to learn more about how things have been with Amy's adoptive family. So it has been a struggle a little bit. I think once the excitement for me, the initial excitement was there. My adoptive mom was very supportive. My adoptive father was supportive. He has since passed, so he's not involved, you know, obviously, with what's going on now. My sister, who's my parents' biological daughter, she's very supportive. She can understand, like, how I feel. My adopted mom, like, 
to this day, she still says how much she supports this. But yet when I have a conversation, you know, like, oh, who's gonna, who's going or who's coming to dinner? Because they come to my house for my kids' graduation parties. And then so both sets of family is there. And my adopted mom gets upset about it. Mm. You know, you can just tell in her tone in a way. Well, I'm trying to think. I think it was my daughter's high school graduation. I had one of my sisters there. My birth mom and her husband were there. And my birth mom's husband was talking to my adopted mom. And she's like, oh, so where are your, you know, just like, you know, small talk. Where are your girls at? You know, where your kids live? And he's like, yeah, well, we have two in Chicago, one in Indiana, one in Colorado. And my mom said, two in Chicago. And he said, yeah, Amy. And and that made my mom so upset. She's like, they called you their daughter. (laughs) And she asked my sister to take her home from the party, which was so upsetting to me. Number one, it was embarrassing because it was like, where did she go? And so upsetting that she couldn't feel like that was like joy to me that they considered me part of their family as their daughter. That feeling of being wanted by someone who originally placed you for adoption was a tremendous feeling for me to have my adopted mom then just kind of crush that because it upset her so much. And I understand how difficult that has to be, but I'm not trying to replace her. I'm just trying to learn about my family, you know, that so many people take for granted that they just get that by being born into their family. So that's very difficult. We're still working on it. The empathy part on hers is not that great. I'm still just trying to be open and share with her the importance of it to me Mm -hmm. and just hoping that she will either come around or, you know, I don't know. Because I I put this on me that my children, you know, they're they're adults. They make choices. I might not agree with all their choices, but if it brings them happiness and they're not hurting someone and it it is, you know, making their lives better for them. I'm happy for them. I'm supportive. I want to hear about it. And I just feel like I don't get that from my adopted mom in this situation, which is to me a monumental, like huge thing in someone's life who was adopted. Right. Can I ask if you're honest with yourself, did you do a good job Mm -hmm. of reminding her that you're not trying to replace her? How do you feel like you did in that particular piece? Yes. I mean, I have told her over and over Mm -hmm. that I am grateful for being in the family, for her being my mom, for being well cared for, for love, being loved, that it's not a replacement, but that it's just having a connection to, you know, your genetics. And and it was funny because we were having this conversation I don't know, maybe a year ago and I was at her house and she has a photo of her grandfather, her great-grandfather and some uncles, like an old photo from, you know, like early 1900s or maybe late 1800s. And I said, that picture is so cool. And she's like, yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah. I said, but I don't know any of that. Like I, that is something I'm still trying to find out and learn. And she said, yeah, but you know your birth mom now, so it's good. 
It's like, but it's not like, it's not like a one-time thing. Whoop. You met, you got it. You're done. You know, it's an experience. It's, it's talking, it's learning, it's meeting more people that yeah. are going to bring me to that sense of, wow, that's my family. Those are my origins, which I'm still trying to get because, you know, 50 some years apart, <laughs> it's not really easy to put everything in one paragraph <laughs> and yeah. feel like, you know, everything. You know, this, this image came to my mind, as you were saying, when you said your adoptive mother said, well, you know, your birth mother now. So basically check, right? It's you should be good. Right. Checked up. I had yep. this image of a person walking up to a house that they've never been in before. And just because mm -hmm. the door was open and unlocked and you could open it and see in, that doesn't mean you now know this house, right? You, exactly. There's so many rooms inside. Some of them are going to be gorgeous and other ones are going to be kind of ugly. But you can't yeah. know any of that until you literally step through the door and explore the house. And and, right. and you're going to see, you know, does this kitchen work for me? And does this basement work for me? And how are the kids' rooms? Like there's so many things to explore. And the same is true for an adoption story is that it's it doesn't check the box to just meet a biological relative and, and now you know them. There's – Right. History, as you've said, there's stories that coincide right. with that history. It's not just, you know, that my uncle, you know, came to the United States from overseas, but what right. else, what did he do? Was he sort of handsy and crafty like me? And, and who did he meet? And, and who are his children? And where did they move to? And all of the sort of verbal history that coincides with a family is also really important. It fills in around the skeleton of just like, going through the family tree online and saying, okay, the next person in line is that one. The next person in line is that one. Right. Who are the stories? What are the stories that coincide with each of those faces on the tree? That's the filling out piece that I think she probably is underestimating the importance of. Exactly. And, yeah. and you know, like even just meeting your biological family, you kind of navigate that in a way that's comfortable for everyone. You know, it's not like you come in there and you go, tell me about this, tell me about this, tell me about this. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, it's like, point. as you build on your relationship, I feel like that also makes them say, okay, yeah, this person really wants to know more. Like, you know, they're just not here to check the box. You mm -hmm. know, it's more about developing the connections and developing the relationships that doesn't happen overnight at all. Yeah. You know, as as amazing as it is to have that connection, the journey to really feel as if you fit in and you connect and you know some of the history, like I would say I'm just at the beginning of that stage and it's almost been, you know, five years that I'm still learning. I'm still trying to find out more information and navigate it, you know, where I don't seem like I'm pushy and I don't seem like, you know, you, I feel like we have to walk this fine line too of not inserting yourself to an uncomfortable place for them. Yeah. It's a really good as point. Well. Right. May I ask, So, uh, I want to go back to your birth mom for a moment. What did she tell sure. you about her experience with conceiving you and your adoption? What did you learn? Oh, Okay. I learned that her and my birth father had been friends through high school, dated on and off. They were both in college when she got pregnant. They never had the intention of getting married, just knew that that wasn't what they wanted. 
she did not tell anyone until her mom found out, I think she was about seven months pregnant. And from that point on, her mom took her to her appointments. She planned to place me for adoption because that was the only choice that was given to her. She knew she couldn't take care of me on her own. She said she loved being pregnant. She thought it was really cool. When she did go into the hospital, her mom took her to the hospital to deliver. And when it got close to the time of delivery, she said that they did give her medication to sedate her. So she doesn't actually remember me being born. And she never saw me. She never held me. It was just basically the baby was there and gone. She went back to school to finish. She graduated in May. I was born in March. And she graduated and she moved to California <laughs> to um, start her career. So kind of, you know, her her mom never wanted to talk about it again. She said, this is, it's over. It's done. You have the baby. We're moving on. And they never, ever talked about it. Her dad never talked to her about it once. I guess one time they were fighting and he said, what are y'all yelling about? And she goes, I'm pregnant. And then he got silent. <laughs> and that was the only time she had ever said something to her dad about it. That's crazy. So, mm -hmm. And then she ultimately moved back to Indiana and then, you know, met her husband and they've lived there ever since. Mm, really wild. What yeah. was it like to hear that story? It was, you know, you always think, gosh, I, you know, did my birth mom see me? Did she hold me? That was really hard mm. to know that you weren't held. But also, I, I also think of, how having gone through delivering a baby, how difficult for her that had to be, you know, and to have absolutely no support. It was basically, you had your baby, we're moving on, you will forget that ever happened. And yeah, I, I, I really can't imagine going through something like that. And, you know, I just, when I hear that and then I start to wonder, I think, gosh, you know, then you wonder where was I for, I know I was in the hospital for about seven days. I knew I went to foster care for another seven days, but it's just like one of those things you're like, okay, that's like two weeks. Who was I with? Who was holding you? You know, who was feeding you? I just, it's just one of those things that blows your mind. Yeah. It's a hard thing for others to conceptualize too, this missing piece of history. Right. right. It seems like it shouldn't be consequential. You were a child and you you didn't remember it anyway. Like you wouldn't even have <laughs> known who, who the people were in your life. And that's not the point. Right. The point is right. if I walked up to you right now and just subtracted, you know, a week, three months from your life and just said, right. that's gone. You know, you don't get those memories yeah. anymore. You don't get that piece of your history. You'd be like, wait, 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 what are you doing? You can't just take a piece right. of my history and remove it from my life. Yet somehow an exactly. adopted person is expected to live with the fact that they're not going to know in some cases where they were in foster care right. or what have you and just be okay with it. I think we need to right. help people get over the idea that that is an acceptable norm in adoption. It shouldn't be. It, it shouldn't right. Be. No. No. And that's, you know, like part of what I would like to, you know, get the word out and like help be helpful about it is that that shouldn't be a scary thing for an adopted family to explain to their their adopted child, right? Mm -hmm. I, I just feel like 
the secrets make it worse. And it's really just curiosity of a child. And the more information that you can give an adopted child about where they came from and, you know, what their parents look like. And just to me seems like the better way to go, you know, yep. it's, it's just like, give this adopted child all the tools that they can, you know, feel comfortable in their skin and know where they've come from. Mm-hmm. And I know it's, it's probably very hard for an adopted parent in a way to, you know, think, oh my gosh, what if one day they just want to go there, which I get. But again, I think not having that secret just and that open communication is going to make it so much easier on both parties. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I agree 100 percent. And if you think about it, I mean, there's so many choices, as you've said, that our our kids make that you're just like, God, I wish they wouldn't do that. But you have to live through it. Like, right. It's it's something they have to experience. It's their voyage of exploration. It's their life. And you're not going to squash that curiosity by telling them that they shouldn't do it. So in some ways, you just have to embrace it and say, all right, let's go on this journey and see how it comes out. And be like strong enough in yourself to recognize, I loved this child as much as I possibly could, and I still do. And this child has said that they need this, even though the child is now a full-grown adult with three three kids. (laughs) I know right. this person needs this and and right. I need to be supportive of it. If you push it away, what ends up happening is you can get cut out of stuff because you're not right. supportive. It's actually more stressful to involve you because you're not a participant who is exactly. trying to be supportive. And so it's like it's just easier to cut you out. And that's not where yeah. our parents want to be. No, that's so true the way you just explained that about it being more stressful to include because you don't know what's going to happen when you do mm-hmm. <laughs> include, you know, and it's true. Sometimes it's easier just not to mm-hmm. and not to share because the emotions won't be there and you don't have to worry about what kind of, you know, confrontation there may be because of their feelings or whatnot. You know, it's, it is, it's very stressful. Mm-hmm. So you put that a really good way. I never thought about it that way. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's wild to think of things that, you know, that other people's it, – it's interesting. As I'm saying this, I'm realizing we adoptees end up empathizing with everybody else, right? But everybody right. else has a challenge to empathize with us. I never really thought about it that way, but that's a – feels right. It's so – right. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So true. Uh-huh. Wow, Amy. Wow. It's been wonderful talking to you. I'm so glad to hear that your reunion with your birth mother went well. I'm sorry to hear about your birth father, but you know, I always am hopeful for people that time will change things and people will come right. around. Age and mortality and all kinds of things can be very sobering for folks. And exactly. Uh, and I'm hopeful that he will come around and perhaps your brother on your your brother on his side will too. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I'll let you know. All right. But um, no, it was wonderful talking to you too. I appreciate the opportunity. Of course. My pleasure. All the best to you, Amy. Take care, okay? Thanks. Okay. Bye. Bye bye. Hey, it's me. Amy grew up loved in her adopted family, but lacking the mirroring that can be grounding for a person. She was a blue eyed blonde in a family of dark haired, dark eyed people. When Amy reflected on her life in a Jewish family without classically Jewish features, she realized how many times over her life she had to justify her Judaism and explain that she was adopted. 
finding her birth parents, she learned that some of her crafty hands-on nature came from her birth mother and is shared by her sisters. But her paternal connection has fallen flat as her birth father's wife seems to have put pressure on him not to be in contact with Amy, even though he's also an adoptee and should be able to empathize with Amy's desire to connect. I want to circle back to something we said at the end, one of which was that adoptees frequently feel forced into empathizing with the people around us as we navigate adoption reunion, yet the empathy isn't always reciprocated. A lot of family and friends of adoptees would do well to truly put themselves in the shoes of the adoptee who has been separated from their family of origin. It can be hard to build that empathy, but it's necessary to be supportive of the adoptive person. Secondly, a lot of times in our lives we make the decision not to include someone in something big in our lives because the stress of including them diminishes the value of their inclusion. Said a different way, their inclusion can be penalizing for you. This is true for adoptive parents supporting their adoptees in reunion. As Amy said, we know it's hard to watch your adopted child reconnect with their birth family, but it's not something we just kind of want. Reconnection can be something we need very much, and if you're not supportive, you'll find yourself not being included at all. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you've found something in Amy's journey that inspired you validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn. Who am I, really?